fiat money is a positivist money, a tool of governments pursuing a utopian vision. Bitcoin is a natural law money, a tool to protect individual liberty. Bitcoin is therefore the more moral money. The best in Bitcoin made audible. I am Guy Swan and this is Bitcoin Audible. What is up, guys? Welcome back to Bitcoin Audible. Holy shit, the new listeners to this show. Um, <laughs> every day, uh, the uh, download charts has been looking more and more ridiculous, even since I've posted it just three or four days ago. Um, uh, it has been amazing. Welcome uh, to all the new people to this show. Um, and, uh, this is Bitcoin audible. This is where we read and cover literally everything about Bitcoin that you could ever want to know the economics, the technology, the cryptography, the history, uh, the game theory, all of it. This is, this is it. And I am Guy Swan, the guy who has read more about Bitcoin than anybody else, you know, uh, and we have, we are continuing through the Bitcoin times volume three. I uh, got a lot of great articles uh, in uh, in that publication, and this one is by Jimmy Song, uh, the moral case for Bitcoin. And I actually said in the guys' take, like towards the end of this episode, um, that uh, you could not drop applause on this on Medium because I was reading it off the PDF of the Bitcoin Times. But this is actually posted on Medium too, so the link in the show notes will actually be to that. So uh, jump over there, follow Jimmy Song and drop some massive applause on this article after you listen to it. Uh, but I will not remind you at the end of the episode. Uh, with that, really quick, let's hit our sponsors. Uh, for anybody who has hardcore, like has serious Bitcoin savings and doesn't have a hardware wallet, you gotta get one. The Bitbox O2 is it. They are a sponsor of this show and they also just coincidentally happen to be one of the best Bitcoin hardware wallets out there. Then we have Level.co, LVL.co, our other sponsor that has Bitcoin mobile banking services and a trading, uh, an exchange that has no fees at all so that you can swap back and forth between other cryptos or dollars and you have direct deposit, you have ACH wire, you even have a debit card and there are no fees to swap between them. So if you wanted to live off of Bitcoin, Level.co is it. Go to GuySwan.com, S-W-A-N-N. Uh, to check out both of those they're right at the top of the page with that we have an awesome read today from the bitcoin times volume three and it is titled the moral case for bitcoin by jimmy song one of the most important parts of the bitcoin journey is learning to talk about bitcoin in a way that connects with people there have been a lot of approaches there's the investment case for Bitcoin, the self-sovereignty case for Bitcoin, and even the societal case for Bitcoin. What there hasn't been is the moral case for Bitcoin. The moral case for anything is a different beast than the others because we're not appealing to self-interest. We're appealing to something that's deeper in the human soul. For this reason, a moral argument resonates deeper and trumps other arguments. By making this argument for Bitcoin, we're taking the moral high ground, an argument that's stickier and more lasting. So how do we make this moral case? 
Any talk of morals has to start with a framework to decide what's right and wrong. There are two theories of individual rights that we will cover, natural law and positivism. From there, we can proceed to the government's role. There are two possibilities here. One, protection of individual liberty. Or two, pursuit of a utopian or a vision imposed by the ruling elite. Next, we can proceed to how money fits into both these systems of morals and government. Specifically, we will contrast fiat money versus Bitcoin. Finally, we can explore the second-order effects, or what we can expect under both systems in terms of incentives, virtue, and the character of society. Let's start with a little bit of philosophy. There are two theories of individual rights, natural law and positivism. The first is the theory of natural law. This is the idea that rights are something we already have, that if they are violated by anyone, including the government, that it is wrong. This view is ancient, but probably the clearest expression of this is in the Declaration of Independence. Quote, We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by the Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness are three rights mentioned by the writers of the Declaration of Independence but they're by no means the only ones. There's the right to property, the right to free speech, the right to religion, and so on. The reason why the colonists felt justified in declaring independence was because their natural rights were being violated by England. The English king was violating their already existing rights, and therefore the government was doing something wrong, and therefore was not a legitimate government. That was their argument. In other words, a government that does not respect natural rights no longer deserves to govern. That's the basis of natural law. Individuals already have certain rights, and any government that violates those rights is an illegitimate government. The other view of individual rights is called positivism. This is the idea that the government grants individuals certain rights and that the government is the arbiter of what an individual can and cannot do. Generally, this means that unless the government explicitly gives you a right, that it is not a right you have. An example of this is a license to cut hair. Individuals do not have the right to cut hair unless you get the government's permission first. Essentially, in this framework, the government determines what is right and what is wrong. Why do people follow natural law? First, it's common sense like the tract from 1776 by Thomas Paine. Saying something is common sense is another way of saying it's inborn or intuitive. Natural law says that it is wrong to murder people because people have a right to life, for example. That's hopefully inborn or intuitive for you. Second, natural law is just. Natural law treats people equally, not based on wealth, ethnicity, or political savvy. We don't give certain people one set of rights and deny it to another set of people. Third, natural law is individual-centric. Individuals have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Individuals have freedom under natural law. Why would anyone like positivism? Unsurprisingly, those who like positivism are people in power. First, positivism is much easier to enforce. 
Positivism defines rights each individual has, so if the right is not explicitly given, then the individual is in violation. If you don't have a license to cut someone's hair, then you are in violation. Judging right and wrong under positivism is much, much easier. Second, positivism is great for those in power because they can treat people differently. Think of the scene from Braveheart where nobles are given the right of prima nocta, or the right to sleep with commoners' wives on the first night of marriage. Prima nocta is a flagrant violation of natural law, but under positivism, any rights, even one to rape, is something the government can give. Third, positivism allows those in power to set the rules. They don't have any restrictions on those rules because they are, by definition, moral under positivism. There's no higher authority that you can appeal to and say this is unfair. At this point, recognize that natural law is moral and positivism is highly immoral. Looking throughout history, all of the worst governments with the worst atrocities, every single one of them was positivist. All of them operated under the idea that the state gives you the right to do something. The state gives you the right to cut someone's hair, own property, or even live. And they can take stuff like your life, your liberty, and your property. If you look at Nazi Germany, Stalinist Russia, and the reign of terror with disgust, you do so because they are all positivist and believe to some degree in natural law. So if you're a believer of positivism, you can stop reading this article because I don't really have anything more to say to you. But if you're a believer in natural law, please continue. With this distinction in mind, let's talk about the role of government. Government can take two possible roles, protecting individual liberty or pursuing a utopian vision. If you believe in natural law, that we already have rights, then the government's job is to protect those rights. The opposite is the pursuit of a utopian vision. Marx's workers' paradise and Hitler's racially pure world are two visions that led to mass slaughter. But those aren't the only possibilities. A utopian vision can be something as simple as not ever having any sort of terrorist attack on a plane. This is how we get ridiculous policies like the TSA. Another utopian vision is preserving the status quo. That's how we get bailouts and too big to fail. Conservatives are much more prone to this sort of vision, which isn't surprising since preserving the status quo is literally conservative. The sad reality of today's political discourse is that we are not arguing about protecting individual liberty. We are arguing for different utopian visions. When the government's role is to protect individual liberty, we get a lot of good things. There's a lot more entrepreneurship because no one needs permission. And that ultimately leads to civilization being built up by sovereign individuals. When the government's role is pursuit of a utopian vision, we get lots of bad things. There's a lot less stuff being built because there's permission required. There always needs to be some sort of bureaucratic stamp of approval on whatever it is that anyone wants to do. Violations mean you lose your property, your liberty, and possibly even your life. Ultimately, individuals become slaves to the state. When the government protects individual liberty, then the state takes the proper role of being a servant to the people. But when the government pursues a utopian vision, individuals become the slaves of the state. What we're seeing in the last 200 years 
is that governments around the world have moved from protecting individual liberty towards pursuing utopian visions. A positivist pursuit of a utopian vision has its own money, fiat. A natural law protection of individual liberty has its own money, bitcoin. We can see that clearly in its properties. Fiat money is clearly centralized, with control of money from a powerful central entity like the Federal Reserve. Bitcoin is decentralized, with every individual having power through running a node. Fiat money requires permission to possess it. Bitcoin is better than even gold in the sense that it is unconfiscatable. Fiat money can be devalued at will, giving positivist governments the funds to pursue their utopian vision. Fiat lets governments tax without the consent of the governed. Bitcoin gives power back to the individual, not allowing this stealth taxation, and respects individual property. Fiat money uses violence to get its ends. Fiat is a zero-sum game where the state benefits at the expense of individuals. Bitcoin is voluntary and positive-sum because people only trade when it adds value to both parties. Fiat money is a positivist money, a tool of governments pursuing a utopian vision. Bitcoin is a natural law money, a tool to protect individual liberty. Bitcoin is, therefore, the more moral money. The second-order effects of Bitcoin are in the realm of individual character. We can look at this in terms of the four classical cardinal virtues. Prudence, temperance, justice, and fortitude. Prudence is what we in Bitcoin call low time preference, that is, planning for the future. Fiat money is the opposite, and you can see it in the enormous amounts of debt everyone has. Individuals become more high time preference and become slaves to their debt. Temperance is doing things the right amount. Fiat money encourages consumption, and thus individuals are not incentivized to learn self-control. This causes everything from materialism to obesity to addiction. Bitcoin is the opposite and causes people to save and measure their consumption. This means there's more self-control and more temperance. Justice is doing things fairly. Fiat money is unfair in a whole host of ways. Politically connected people get rich through rent-seeking. Bitcoin is much more fair because there's no apparatus to rent-seek from. Instead, we get a free market and a meritocracy. Fortitude is courage or guts. Unfortunately, fiat money and positivism means a highly politicized environment since the government is in control. Fiat money incentivizes rent-seeking, not risk-taking entrepreneurial endeavors. Positivist change is brought about by force and violence. Bitcoin incentivizes entrepreneurship and new goods and services. In other words, Bitcoin induces natural law change, which is brought about by creation and innovation, not government decree. Prudence, temperance, justice, and fortitude. Bitcoin makes civilization not just better, but more moral. The moral case for Bitcoin is that Bitcoin aligns with natural law. Bitcoin gives us protection for individual rights, something most governments are slowly abandoning. The sad reality is that the world is becoming more and more tyrannical. Those in power both on the left and the right 
pursue utopian visions instead of protecting individual liberty. If you care about protecting individual rights, then Bitcoin is what we must pursue, and fiat must be destroyed. Fiat de Linda Est Jimmy Song, October 2020 And that concludes the moral case for Bitcoin. And uh, I want to get into Guy's take, but let's take a quick break for our sponsor, and then we will jump back in. It is time to thank our amazing sponsor, Shift Crypto, for their uh, wonderful product, the BitBox Hardware Wallet. Um, this thing is an open source, simple to use, Swiss-made, uh, Bitcoin dev secured hardware wallet for your Bitcoin cold storage. These guys are absolutely serious engineers. You got to check out the episode where we talk with CEO and co-founder Douglas Backham all about this stuff. They have truly made one of, if not the best hardware wallets um, and simple BitBox app to go with it for onboarding new people safely into the Bitcoin space. Um, and they even have a lot of other great products on their website if you want to check out. They got like sealed backup cards if you want to write down your seed, additional micro SD cards for backups, the steel wallet for the hardcore uh, backup in you know worst case scenarios, and even tamper evident bags that you can put these things in. So if you haven't gotten a solid hardware wallet for your Bitcoin savings, you need to. And always remember, buy from the manufacturers. And from someone you can trust, never go to a retailer. That is a recipe for disaster. The BitBox O2 is where it's at. Check them out at guyswan.com bitbox. So the funny thing about positivism, this is actually like right in line with what Jimmy Song, uh, the presentation that he gave at BitBlog Boom, uh, which if you missed it, uh, it is very unfortunate for you because it was really good. Um, but the funny thing about uh, positivism versus natural rights is that almost everyone, even the people who believe in Marxism and positivism, uh, will argue from a natural rights perspective that something is morally wrong. It's, it's amazing the, the difference, the conflict, is in the fact that they hold contradictions, is that they will make a positivist argument about what they want to see in the world, but they will make a natural rights argument about what they don't like or what doesn't match up with what they, you know, perceive as being correct. So an example is like Jim Crow laws. Um, and this is something that's, uh, that's more on the left because the left is generally concerned with the social uh, injustice, whereas the right is uh, more concerned with, you know, the status quo, as Jimmy Song talked about in this, or the, the property rights, at least the rhetoric is individual liberty, even though they, they're a complete failure when it comes to that in actual application. And again, one of those things where it's a contradiction of what they say versus what they actually uh, push forward. So on like the, the idea of Jim Crow laws or slavery or uh, any of the, the past transgressions of you know, whatever generation or whatever it is that we're, we're accusing of uh, you know, wrongdoing. Slavery is an obvious, simple one. It was legal. So if you take a positivist stance about what is moral and what is not today, if you claim that we don't have rights outside of, um, you know, what the government says, that like, oh, you can't, you have to wear a mask, you know, like, like as simple as that is, um, it's a utilitarian argument. It's a positivist argument that the government says you can't, therefore, 
um, it's totally acceptable and moral for them to beat someone up for not wearing a mask because, quote unquote, that's the law. Every statement of that's the law is one of a positivist argument. It's saying that morality or the consequences thereof of any sort of action, whether it be nonviolent or uh, a violent, is based on whether or not it is legal. That's a positivist argument. And you, dis you absolutely obliterate the moral foundation to, uh, uh, to say that slavery was wrong because it was legal. Like, how do you possibly argue that there is an immoral law if you don't start from natural rights? And I think this is just because it's not been taught, because nobody stops and thinks about it. We're just kind of beaten to death with this, um, uh, the, the, this essentially propaganda of what the government is allowed to do and what their role is. And uh, basically natural rights are just kind of brushed under the rug and not talked about from a fundamental, fundamental perspective is you get a whole political sides that literally contradict the very moral basis that they claim something is wrong. And that's why it's so freaking easy to point out how hypocritical the right is or how hypocritical the left is by just shoving their own principles in their face. I mean, what possible more like what possible argument or foundation for a debate could be more horribly wrong than one that removes the ability to argue against slavery because it's legal. With any kind of assessment of the contradiction of making a moral argument, natural rights is the only argument to be had, and it's the only one that people argue with, at least in this day and age. Um, and uh, uh, But I love that um, you know, he talks about how like uh, the right or the conservatives are basically in a defense of this utopian idea of the status quo and of, you, you know, like getting everything back in the perfect way that it was and patriotism and all of this crap and then the left are basically the same utopian and everybody's going to be socially equal and both sides are just going to give government unlimited power. They're both going to give unlimited purchasing capability to the centralized institution because there are no costs. We'll just print money in, in, to infinity and beyond. And you know, it doesn't come from anywhere. Resources don't come from anywhere. They're just poofed into existence. Therefore, we can just blow infinite resources on whatever dream we have, whatever vision we have for the world. And there will be no consequences to society, even though clearly there are horrible consequences to society. And we've watched society degrade uh, to an incredible degree over the last 50 years. We've watched our economy become fragile. We've watched our political system, uh, you know, increasingly be at each other's throats. We've seen the hate and division increase. We've seen the corruption increase. We've seen the abuse increase. And lo and behold, it's proportional to the amount that the government has been in charge of things. The amount that the political sphere is between all of our choices, all of our rights, our license to cut hair, and all of the absolutely absurd things that now the government is involved in that they never should have been to begin with. Um, and uh, what I like to, uh, an analogy that I like to give as to why the increasing involvement of government, the increasing reliance on positivist rights that the government is going to tell us what we can and can't do, and anything that is not explicit, explicitly said as the government says we can do, um, that, that positivist position, uh, that the increasing reliance on that is that it, it sows hate 
It sows disorder. It sows distrust. It destroys community and family. And the reason is, is you can use a very simple example. Imagine everyone has to pick, uh, you know, there's one dessert that you can have, and it's a cookie. But suddenly we put the political sphere in charge of which cookie it is that we get for dessert. And whatever is picked by the political system, democratically, you know, it's a majority. It's a majority vote, right? It's really important that the will of the people is uh, enforced at this utopian, this utopian idea of the perfect cookie, the perfect cookie dessert. And obviously the idea that, you know, everybody has to agree on the same cookie or you can't be friends um, or, you know, like the idea of arguing about a cookie clearly is immature and stupid and a waste of time, right? I mean, maybe people do it on Twitter, but that's because people just argue on Twitter about any damn thing that they can possibly find. Uh, but in a general sense, you know, you usually don't beat people up over uh, liking Oreos instead of Chips Ahoy. But let's put it in the political sphere. Let's make it a democratic vote, which cookie we get. And now if somebody hates Oreos and uh, really loves Chips Ahoy, but let's say the majority vote just happens to be for Oreos, and we'll just ignore the millions of people who, you know, like oatmeal raisin cookies and uh, the sugar cookies and all the other various cookies, because right now the only choice is between Chips Ahoy and Oreo. Everybody, mar everybody like uh, every minority group is completely just doesn't even get a count. Like they, they just, they're just, you might as well just set them all on fire and flush them down the toilet because they don't matter. They don't have an opinion. Uh, this is majority rule. Uh, and the Oreo people win. And the Chips Ahoy people just fucking hate Oreos. Well, now they have to go to the store and buy Oreos. Like, it's not even, it's not a situation where like, oh, well, they can just abstain from dessert. They have to pay for the other team's Oreos. And suddenly, something as simple as picking which national cookie to force on everybody becomes something that people would actually beat each other up about, that you could hate your neighbor. You have to give a rat's ass about which cookie your neighbor likes for dessert. And every issue that is introduced into, into the political sphere is done at that level. It's an argument over who gets to be forced to pay for what that they don't want specifically. It's not cooperation. It is force. It is not working together. It is telling people you disagree with exactly what they are going to do or else. It is not live and let live. It is you will live like I want you to. You will live by my values, not yours. And it is flatly an immoral philosophy. And that's the fascinating thing about just, just from a concept of Fairness. Just go right down to the very basic thing. Do we believe all humans are created equal? Do we believe in equality? Do we believe in equality of rights and equality of power? Uh, do, I mean, do, a lot of people say the rhetoric, but none of them believe that politically. In practice, they are all viciously against it. They don't want people who have the wrong religion to, to live properly. Uh, they, they think the person with the wrong religion or the wrong culture or the wrong values is their enemy. So do we believe they should be equal? Because fiat is a system that is provably unequal. 
that absolutely that creates a centralized system of authority and control where a few get to benefit, a few get to pull the reins that govern everyone else's life, livelihoods, and standards of living. They get to manipulate entire lives. They get to destroy billions of hours of past labor, of choices, of risks put into skills, and of businesses and entrepreneurship, of risking everything you have on some sort of an enterprise by picking winners and losers and bailing out your politically privileged friends. It is provably unfair. It is unequal by design. And Bitcoin is the exact opposite. It is absolutely equal by design, provably so. Everyone plays by the same rules. There is no owner. There is no ruler. There is no master. None of those things exist in Bitcoin. If you actually believe in equality, if, if we actually believe in everyone having equal rights and that we should all have a level playing field, Bitcoin is the only alternative. Bitcoin is the only choice there. And for the same reason, and I think libertarian, the argument for libertarianism is a moral one. You know, everybody wants to focus on the utilitarian thing and try to explain, oh, roads will be better without the government. And like that falls flat because nobody knows what that looks like. You know, like roads have been incredibly subsidized. Like there's so many, like you have to, you have to get someone else to work incredibly hard to imagine a future that they don't even believe in. Nobody's going to do that. So you make a moral argument. You know, the, the argument against slavery of abolitionism wasn't that, oh, the economy is going to be more productive if you pay your slaves um, and that they're free to choose what they do, even though it was absolutely true. None of them would actually believe it. It's one of the most difficult things to assess e ever. Um, like you, the, the imagination and the economic understanding that would be needed to explain why it is that Forced labor is wildly unproductive in comparison to actually fairly paid labor. You can't, you can't make that argument and you immediately, you immediately destroy your moral foundation because you're no longer arguing from a natural right. And as soon as, since they, since a positivist person in that scenario can say, oh, well, that's just the way things are. Slavery is the law. Um, and they they're the only ones with an example. Uh, they're the only the simpler thing to understand is that it's really costly to have to pay slaves as opposed to have them work for free under under a whip. So you you kind of lose it by default because you've already given up the, the fundamental ground by which you can argue against it. You've made the situation as difficult to argue as possible. So what was the actual abolitionist argument? Is that they're human. Everybody is human. They should have equal rights. You don't get to own another human. You don't get to destroy someone else's life. It was a moral argument. The, to hell with the utilitarian uh, reasoning. To hell with whether or not it's economically beneficial. Who gives a shit? It could be economically beneficial to shoot 2,000 people in the head, but you still don't get to do it. And the argument for Bitcoin is the same. It's a moral argument. And I think Jimmy Song is right in this. That's the most powerful argument. It's the real argument is I don't give a shit if your 3% inflation is quote unquote better for the economy. It's not, but I'm not even going to argue it because you don't get to steal 3% of the wealth and time of everybody in this country 
because you think it benefits your big corporate buddies. Counterfeiting is immoral. An unjust system is immoral. It's not a utilitarian argument. It is a moral one. And I'm very happy that Jimmy Song wrote this article because it gets me riled up. And uh, he had a great presentation at BitBlockBoom. I'm sure he will have another one this coming year. So for everyone who is able to go to that, check that out. Um, and uh, of course, follow Jimmy Song. Of course, go... Uh, oh, I guess you can't drop a pause on this one. This one's on uh, the Bitcoin Times, Volume 3. Um, but a huge thank you to Alex Fetsky again for putting this together. Glad we're kind of final. I think we're almost through all the pieces. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read back through Volume 3 and see if there's one that I've missed and haven't covered on the show yet. But uh, uh, the Bitcoin Times just continuously kills it. And uh, massive applause to Jimmy Song for this one. Uh, moral case for Bitcoin is the only case for Bitcoin. With that, uh, let's go ahead and get out of here. A thank you to the Bitbox O2 for just being the best hardware wallet out there. Uh, if you've got Bitcoin savings and you don't have a Bitbox, you're overcomplicating things for no reason. You got to do the Bitbox. Uh, and of course, uh, if you want to live off of Bitcoin, if you want Bitcoin banking services and a trading exchange experience with no fees, that's level.co, lvl.co. You can get both of these great sponsors at guyswan.com. But until next time, guys, thank you so much for listening. Bitcoin is the future. Bitcoin is the moral choice. And uh, that's, the, that's the stance we should have. That's the argument we should take is that equality and fairness are the principles by which we should argue as to why Bitcoin is the only option. There is no better future in a money that's easier to corrupt and manipulate because corruption and manipulation are tools for evil and immorality. You can't use the ring of power for good. All you can do is destroy it. And we will do exactly that with Bitcoin. Thank you guys so much for listening. This is Bitcoin Audible, and I'll catch you next week. Until then, take it easy, guys. This has been a 111 production, and you were listening to Bitcoin Audible on the Crypto Economy Network.